0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Kerrick. and Thank you for joining the show from wherever you are in the world. Alongside our guest today, Roland Pankowicz, He's the CEO of Health Optimization Practice Canada. We got to know each other as we are both on the board for a new supplement company that I use in my home and, and I'm very excited to be a part of called Designs for Sport. Uh, it's Roland's background, both as someone who has fought, Uh, professionally in MMA, in his background in biomechanics and how he was uh, training uh, everyone from people rehabbing from massive uh, car accidents to professional athletes like myself. And then of course, the last leg of his education as a health practitioner is his background in holistic nutrition and biochemistry uh, that he has. So we take big daunting topics today and try and help you, our audience, go from zero to one on becoming a more educated consumer and on how to uh, better orchestrate and participate in your own health so you can be responsible uh, for your best self. So thank you to Roland on trying to tackle alongside uh, with me a very daunting topic and making it uh, more fun and and more digestible, pun intended, uh, topic to discuss. So let's do this. And thank you for
1: joining the show. Hey guys, it's producer Colin here. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us, We've created a membership program that brings access to more exclusive content and AMAs to help you become a more curious competitor. At the end of the episode, I will explain more about what those benefits are. Or if you want to find out more information about it now, please visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode.
0: Roland Pinkwich, welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast, man. How are you feeling today? Connor Carrick, thanks
2: for having me, my friend. Feeling great. How about yourself? Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, me too. Glad we were able to do this. I uh, have found in, in our early talks, as we're still, uh, I guess, budding friends, we've we've been able to. I've been very impressed by your ability to regurgitate the knowledge of all things nutrition, functional medicine. I haven't tested you too much on biomechanics yet, but um, I'm hoping you touch on that a little bit with your origin story. But I meet in my world, a lot of uh, functional medicine, doctors and nutritionists. And I find that the industry itself can be a little dogmatic at times. And I find that you just have a a level headedness, a, a groundedness that is rare for the industry. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, first about your origin story and can we highlight together where this sense of uh, perspective and, and where your understanding and how important context is in the whole conversation around really two aspects of, of health we'll probably cover today uh, general well being and then, you know, the upper stratosphere of, of high performance, particularly in athletics
2: yeah that'd be awesome i mean uh, i appreciate you saying that where would you like me to start because i think that uh you know in our our short time together we're still in the honeymoon phase of course we've touched on many topics so i feel like this has been a long time coming so i'm man i'm I'm an open book i want you to start and we'll see where it goes
0: well so when, when it comes to your story i think it's your background in biomechanics it's how integrated the information is uh, on a biochemistry standpoint, just mm-hmm. how well-versed you are with the material. And then it's also your background in mixed martial arts that I think makes you a unique voice in the industry. Someone who's had, you've had skin in the game. You, you've, you've had to live the high performance model. You had to recover from uh, post-concussive blows, I'm sure. You know, I, don't, I don't know what your concussion history yeah. is. You know? Not and, terrible, but there's been some. <laughs> and i think you know you you have demonstrated at least in in our conversations a more well-rounded knowledge base because that's what we're we're dealing with one you know one body it's it it doesn't differentiate necessarily in our nervous system you know what our what our hands and our toes are and and what part of our body you know it's not like uh you eat something and it goes oh i want to you know just produce pure atp like it's not like Put it in your mouth, ATP comes out. You know, like there's a whole bunch of other uh, steps involved. And so, how did you? What is your relationship with health? How did you become the practitioner you are today? You know, it's an
2: interesting question. I think the one reason why I take a little bit of a different approach is because my background wasn't what I call protocolized in any way. So, and then this is not to say anything about any other profession, but when you get into a practice of anything medicine or health related, let's say it's chiropractic or let's say it's, you know, as a medical doctor or even a naturopath, there's a certain degree of, conformity is the wrong word, but approach that you're taught. And you typically think within the boundaries of those two parameters, if you will, and you take things and you plug them into your system. And it's really, you relate to them almost autonomously unless you question that. So my way of operating is I've had mentors and experiences from walks of life that aren't even connected to each other that have given me a little bit over here. So, you know, my first mentor was an exercise mechanics um, and neurotic is an understatement to how he approached designing exercise because he would fix people who literally would have joint replacements or just one foot dorsiflexed all the way and the other didn't dorsiflex at all. So how do you make someone like that squat for example? So his whole perspective was question everything. And there's a fine line between that. So for me, when someone would say something or I would learn a piece of information, I just wouldn't take it at face value because it was presented a very specific way or it seemed to be packaged up very nicely. I would actually wanna dig into the what, the why and the how. So I would be able to understand it from all sides. You know, reverse engineer it, take it apart, look at its individual pieces and put it back together again, knowing the intent of how the thing was designed in the first place. Um, and then the other thing I did was, I think something that a lot a lot of people in the health space do, rather than chastise and uh, fight the powers that be in the medical system, I was mentored by a physician. So I learned how they thought. I learned how they looked at things and I saw where the shortcomings were, but I also got to have the wonderful benefit of being able to be exposed to the world of medicine, not to fight it, but to understand it so I can maybe overcome the limitations. You know, And that allowed me to lecture to cardiologists about you know, why cholesterol can be something that's an issue with your gut and how you're treating cholesterol, but you're never looking at something that's you know, not compartmentalized within the cardiovascular system. And I guess that's a long way of saying, you know, my, my ability to look at things, the ability to derive perspective and understand context really comes from knowing what to look at and how to look at it.
0: So when we are determining what to look at and how to look at it, like, what would you consider your foundational pillars when a, when a client comes to you uh, for the first time, and they can be either either client, a, a high performing athlete looking for another you know gear in their game, or it can be someone who's, you know, maybe more general population and, and just wants a, an improved quality of life. What are some of the pillars of, of health that uh, you will first start to investigate with? I
2: think the first and most important thing, and that's more important than the result of any lab test or, you know, any kind of symptom that they could talk to you about is. What are they doing and why are they motivated to do it? You know, it's like if you come to me and you say you have a goal of being able to squat a certain amount of weight or you want to achieve a certain level of skill or a status of, you know, player, uh, that's the motivating factor. So that's going to be the thing that people put their energy behind. So if you don't know how to work with the individual um, on that level then being a really good clinician to be able to analyze tests and be able to draw conclusions and connections, that stuff isn't gonna be what motivates the person. And you always have to treat the client and work with a client on that human level before you're looking at them as essentially a walking biochemistry set. That's the first thing. So you figure out what it is they're wanting to do, um, what motivates them, and figuring out if you can actually even satisfy those things going to the next phase, which is going, okay, what's actually going on with you? So if you have a gen pop person and you want to, they, they're going to tell you, I want to be an Ironman triathlete, I want to be at that level of performance, and they have serious energy production problems, they feel like crap all the time, they're displaying all these negative symptoms, then you need to be able to draw the conclusions between idealism and realism. And that's the next step. And then the third part is going in and figuring out where the physiologic blocks in their health are in conjunction with the lifestyle inconsistencies and the the, you know the lifestyle polarities that they're basically engaging in that are working against their goal. So you have to work with a person across all spectrums and that's where I think doing something different from the medical system comes into play. It's you're not just spending a few minutes and writing a, a quick prescription for a few supplements and saying eat a paleo diet and everything's gonna work well. I always say that we are the sum of our inputs with health. So you have to examine all the inputs because the sum of the inputs is going to give you the output, which is gonna be the manifestation of that person, how healthy they are, their stress tolerance, their performance ceiling. And it's those things that really need to be accounted for. And you need to approach it from a very strategic systematic way, but in a way that they understand.
0: I see. So when you say, what does that mean when it's when you say we are the sum of our inputs in terms of so what inputs in particular are you looking at so I know as an athlete like I have sat down with enough you know nutritionists and practitioners like usually I will get similar questions how, you know how often are you drinking uh, you know calorically do you have an idea of your uh, output in a day and and what you're putting in your body you know what is the quality of calories that you're putting in your, in your body where are these sources of food coming from are you eating you know grass fed meat or are you eating you know, fast food, uh, fast food burgers kind of thing. So in terms of what inputs are you really looking to at first monitor and at least gain knowledge of, mm-hmm. and then how do you determine in terms of practicality, right? Cause the question always comes down to, I don't, I don't care as a practitioner, what, you know, I care what we're going to do next as the client. Um, so in, what is sort of your order of operations in dealing with a client who's sitting in front of you there? So that's a really good question because um,
2: the inputs across everyone's life are always contextual. So, I mean, in general, generally speaking, you look at someone's diet, you do a quick scan or a quick assessment of what are their macronutrients, but more importantly, what are their micronutrients and what are all the supporting elements that they may need that they're not getting. So you can look at vitamins, you can look at minerals, you can look at essential fatty acids, protein intake, carbohydrate intake, all that kind of stuff. So really loud siren in the background. <laughs> Yeah, some, They That's found the, you, didn't they? The
0: beauty of... Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We'll hear a knock here in a couple of <laughs> yeah,
2: minutes. Yeah. Um, the second element of input is sleep quality, right? Because people can sleep, but what time you're going to bed actually matters more than in some cases, the total quantity or the duration of sleep and the conditions that you're sleeping in. The third thing that I look at is, you know, what is someone's stress level? Which is one of the hardest things to actually decipher. But, you know, the body knows stress response. If you're stuck in traffic, or you're being chased by someone with a knife, uh, if someone's screaming at you because they took your parking spot instead of, you know, the stress response is a stress response. So the degree of input of stress is going to be able to be something that gives you a sense of how much tolerance that person has. And then there's other aspects like, are they a happy person? Do they have a sense of purpose? Do they have some kind of, you know, personalized practice for themselves that allows them to feel fulfilled? Because you'd be surprised at how many people do all these things right from a health perspective. They take all the right supplements, they do all the right stuff with diet, they exercise a lot, um, but there's still something missing. So from an individual, a human perspective, I try to get a sense of who this person is because knowing their inputs also allows me to know what I can and can't work with. Like if you're on the road and you're changing time zones, I can't overcome the fact that you're going to be jet lagged. So to me, that's an imposition that I need to account for. So looking at the person across the board and, and based upon my subjective analysis of their inputs, where are the areas they need the most assistance? Most people need some dietary help. Um, As an athlete or an aspiring athlete, I don't think your exercise or your work ethic is as much of a problem. But if you're staying up until two in the morning playing video games, destroying your melatonin production, then that's going to be an input that's incongruent with what the goal you have is. So it's looking at the person and their lifestyle on that level at first and then basically talking to them, seeing where can I work with you? What are you going to give me? Because, you know, the best plan in the world is absolutely useless if the person can't implement it. And my original mentor in health always said to me, so a client's in front of you, so what do you do now?
0: Well, I love that you went there as a health practitioner and discussing how important it is from a medical sense, from a, from a holistic well-being sense, mental, physical health, spiritual health, we can include in there too, how important it is to have a sense of purpose and a sense of why. And I urge our listeners like, to seek out practitioners that are able to have these types of conversations with you. Because what I find is every health goal I've ever had, it wasn't generally a lack of information. I knew what I needed to do for the most part. I've you know had some poor information along the way at different steps, but I've you know moved on and, and I think I'm uh, on a good path now. But it's this concept of self sabotage and, and and identity theory where am i the type of person that can act in my own best interest more times than not almost all the time and how do you navigate self sabotage either with yourself because sometimes it's hard to talk about your clientele in general mm-hmm. but for the purpose of our audience you know for the most part like i almost call it like the 30 second health pitch I'm not a health practitioner, but for the most part, the first words out of every health practitioner's mouth is like drink more water, please try and sleep more, or at least not go to bed too late. Uh, Eat some clean protein, eat some vegetables. And we're, we're 80% of the way there, 90% of the way there. Um, So how do you manage this concept of self-sabotage when a client comes to you and, and help them, you know, row the boat in, in, in their own best direction their own, for their own goals. I mean, that, that's
2: an amazing question because that gets into a deep topic of um, the concept of relationships, ego attachments, and various things like that. So I wear a few hats when I work with someone, right? There's a time where I consider myself like a coach. There's a time where I consider myself like a clinician. There's a time where I consider myself a friend or an advisor or an authority figure. And I think the, the most important part is is getting the sense. And this comes from working with people and getting to know people and also just general um, abilities to understand what drives someone. And that's why I asked those questions in the first place. It's what hat do you need to wear? And then when do you need to step in and have a conversation uh, that pertains to them on a certain level? So what you just said is true of everyone. The, the more quality sleep you get, the better quality food you eat. Um, the better balance your recovery to training intensity, like ultimately the more it's going to move you into a direction of optimal health, which will allow you to perform at a higher level. But we're looking only at the physical right there, right? So, you know, it's the body will respond to those input signals. And this kind of gives another definition of that. And the output might be more muscle mass, more strength, more speed, you know, the ability to learn a skill more quickly. So you're moving in the right direction when it comes to your, personal development on an athletic front. But sometimes you run into a scenario where you have like a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And I can give you an example. So there's a client I'm working with right now. He's at the top of his game in a sport that is not necessarily known for its health. And because of what it is he wants to do, uh, he has to push himself to the extreme. And that extreme will push him away from health. So I'm actually helping him recover from the fact that his body is not working like he wants to right now. So it's limiting and sabotaging his ultimate goal. His attachment is to be able to get back to being at that level. So what I have to do is I have to figure out the the, the seesaw balance of, okay, we need to work on your health, which is actually counterintuitive to your performance goal, but I can't get all... I don't have all the time that I want to really regenerate the stuff in your body. So I'm going to compromise with you to say we're going to have this, this time is health focused. And then I have a time frame to where I need to switch gears and do performance focused. So I need to work with him as an individual. So the whole idealistic aspect totally goes out the window, and I'm now under the um, the mandate of his ultimate performance goal. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to balance all the worlds, and this is kind of coming back to your point sometimes what people want to do, their goal is kind of at odds with other aspects what you want to do as a clinician. And the most important thing that a, a health coach can do can, can be to understand the person and where they are, how they work, how they interpret information, and how they implement things to give them the best that you got. And that's really all you can do.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're in like the habit management world where you're really trying to first your client has no chance if these things aren't automated if they're not integrated into the nervous system where uh having a diversified salad for lunch you know with all sorts of vegetables that's good for their gut microbiome mm-hmm. uh, if that feels like punishment it's just a ticking time bomb until they fall off the wagon and end up you know in their old habits so it really is this this blend of you know trying to build the habit first so that eventually the habit can build the client's health goals that you're looking for
2: Exactly. And the the way I look at it is, you know, short term, you know, flashes in the pan. I don't do those things with people because the long term goal, you know, you have someone who you probably call for your house when you need some renovation work. You have a mechanic you take your car to. Generally, you maintain those relationships on an ongoing long term basis. I look at the clients I work with as I'm the guy who helps you maintain your health. You may have a performance coach you may have a skill like you have these people in their respective categories and i always respect what it is they do but you know at the basis if you want to improve your health that's where it is i come in and i want to be able to do that with you and adapt to the various situations that your life brings you and if you wish to change an element if you wish to change a habit it's knowing how to address that by knowing that person and how to work with that individual and you know the higher up the chain you go with uh, the professional ranks the more that skill is actually in some ways more important than how you can just dispense advice to people. Because they can figure out how to eat a good diet. They can figure out, you know, wear an aura ring and track your sleep and see what happens from a sleep score perspective. But when it comes to the context and the implementation, that's where someone who can be, you know, a a multidisciplinary role model or an authority figure really helps push you along. Because it takes away the, the stress of having to make the wrong decision responsibility gets put on me, but that's what I get paid for.
0: No kid, yeah. So what are some of these health issues that you do get paid to fix? Like in, in, let's call them high performance people or athletes, what are some of the greatest issues you've been able to find uh, just in terms of the masses, just by a a pure percentage basis? And then what have been some of the biggest needle mover uh, tactics, I guess, you've been able to integrate alongside your clients to, you talked about this continuum between optimal health and optimal performance. Mm-hmm. Ideally, we want those things on the same side. We want to have both. We want you know our cake and to be able to eat it too. Um, but so, so where are some of these needle moving, I guess, habits uh, that you've been able to Im- implement with your clients because of you know, the most common issues you're finding?
2: So, I mean, that's a great question because it allows me to introduce a concept, right? So when we're talking about performance, Performance and health are not necessarily the same thing. They're not actually related at all in some cases, except for the fact that to perform at a high level, you're demanding a lot of stress of your body, which is a human organism. It's a complex biomechanical robot. The healthier you are, the greater the ability for you to raise your ceiling of performance because you have more stress tolerance. The one thing I found surprisingly with working with a lot of pro athletes is if you look at them from purely a health perspective, their health is actually not as good as some gen pop people. And the reason is...
0: That's where I was hoping you'd go with this. Yeah.
2: The reason is, is what you guys are demanding, you guys and girls rather are demanding of your bodies is way past the stress tolerance of what the average person's body has to deal with. So if I can bring it to an analogy, if we use uh, the concept of a race car... Would you go and get groceries in a Formula One car? No. No. Why? Because it's not designed for that. A Formula One car is very temperamental. It has an incredible ability to perform, you know, turns at a high speed, acceleration, braking. It's far beyond your, your basic family car, but it is very much in need of a team of people to make sure that thing is performing at the highest level. You have people fussing over all the details. When it comes to skills from the conversations you and I have had, when it comes to performance in sports, you guys have the same approach. You have uh, you know, a figure skating coach, you have a skills coach, you have a strength coach, you have a head coach, you have all these things for the game of hockey. But no one's fussing over that same level of detail with your health. So what it is I do is I look at all the main pillars of what makes a human healthy from the first, like in the first place. So you look at energy production, you look at gastrointestinal health, you look at detoxification, you look at micronutrient status. Um, you can even look at some aspects of nervous system function, neurotransmitter elements. So you can look at macronutrients, what kind of split they have. You can look at blood sugar and glycemic control and inflammation is the other thing that I look at. So the same approach, a systems approach that people use to skills and training development I approach health with and then when i move all of those things from a place of imbalance to a place of optimal function it's like the concept of increasing the size of your barrel right if your barrel can hold five pounds if you put six pounds in it it's going to overflow but if we can increase your barrel to 15 pounds you have a lot more tolerance for pushing that barrel's capacity until the barrel starts to overflow and from a, a health perspective when we see things overflow That's the manifestation of an imbalance or a symptom or a disease or an injury because you've exceeded the body's tolerances of dealing with stress. So the only way to essentially push that or offset the potential of having that which holds you back is to focus on your body as a human being first and get it healthy and then integrate the health with the performance side of things, which can be done also in a functional medicine context as well.
0: So do you have any and you don't have to use any names and and we can go to the next question if you're uncomfortable but any success stories particular of uh athletic clients that you've had where you were able to have the time say that you wanted to mm-hmm. achieve optimal health and what did you know the succession of uh plans when you implemented you know maybe let's call it uh the first phase and then you got to the second phase of of restoring health What were some of the tells in your client? What were some of the positive signs that things were starting to work? What does that look like? What was your client telling you? I have a great story,
2: actually, I can share. I'll leave the name out of it, but this person um, is a human refrigerator. He's an offensive lineman. So for a living, he basically... Pushes people over, so he came to me, um, and he actually was a biochem major in college, and he has a master's. So the conversation alone, just to convince him of what it is I did, took about an hour to satisfy his curiosity. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's so awesome. He's like, he's like, you're wait a minute, you're measuring Krebs cycle intermediates. How do you do that? And I said, ah, I'm looking at the vitamin and mineral cofactor deficiencies or the toxins that might be in your bloodstream that could be inhibiting how your body makes energy. He's like, okay, I get it. So we ran a battery of tests with him. He's started with me at 317 pounds not a small human after we did um, our first phase of working on his GI system he had a, a series of parasitic infections a lot of like gut dysbiosis so his body was quite inflamed he was also eating about four hundred grams of protein a day so there are a lot of you know downstream consequences that are not so good for you when your body has to deal with that much protein and amino acid so we'd worked on his GI system we restored nutrient deficiencies uh, we worked on dealing with his inflammatory response and kind of managed some aspects of diet training so his body wasn't one big ball of inflammation perpetually. Over the course of us working together, I didn't change anything about his calories, but he went from having a hard time holding 317 to walking around at 330. But his his body fat dropped probably 3.5%, which is incredible. So much so that his team wanted to test him for performance enhancing substances because it didn't make sense to anyone and the unfortunate reality was when i offered to speak with a team because they couldn't read the labs that we ran um the team's dietician was like no i'm not interested this stuff doesn't check out it doesn't have any validity behind it which is fine i mean people have their opinions but from from my perspective i'm like you take a pro athlete and he might he was thinking he was at the top of his game But that alone shows you how much untapped potential there is when you clean up the dirtiness of imbalances in the body just so the body can work more effectively. You know, excessive inflammation will break down muscle tissue or it will, you know, it will inhibit energy production so you don't burn carbs or fat as effectively which may make you a little bit more insulin resistant which hyper and hypoglycemia come in. So all these things kind of snowball and layer. And because I know you mentioned there are a lot of young athletes listening to this podcast, With youth, there's a sense of invincibility because there's nothing that's hit you that makes you question your own mortality for the most part, like, you know, broken bones here and there, some bruises, some concussions, but it's the habits that start in your teen years and your 20s that ultimately set up how well-suited you are to perform at a high level in your 30s and ultimately your 40s if you wish to go there. So uh, this gentleman was cresting the age of probably 28, 29 years old maybe a little bit younger, 26, 27. So for in the NFL, like his career has already exceeded the average length that someone plays and he wants to play as long as he possibly can. To which if you want to play another, you know, and they can this question can be asked to you, Connor, would you invest in your health if you knew you could spend another year or two playing the sport you love, getting paid a fairly good salary, but ultimately living the life that you want? And that's kind of how I look at it with people. It's like the insurance policy for the... Theoretical longevity and performance and staying power in your career really does come from how you treat your body and some of the older athletes I deal with have always said to me, man, if I only knew this stuff when I was younger.
0: Well, that's kind of how I try to re- reverse engineer because what I do know, for a fact, there's, if, there, if I had to pick, you know, we do live in a hack world and in, in, a, in a fad world, but what I know for sure things that have helped me over the course of my career uh like on ice training let's let's group everything skill work skating work you know working with a figure skating coach i usually almost always come back feeling smoother more coordinated you know some of those higher level nervous system things we're trying to integrate it's great for that you know physical training some of the off-ice stuff the the, the lifting the jumping the plyometric work um again when i'm able to go phase by phase i'm able to feel stronger and, and recover faster on the ice and that kind of thing um and then definitely sleep for sure. That That's another secret sauce item, which for whatever reason, all of a sudden you, you have that great practice session, you go shut it down for ideally nine and a half hours if we're getting greedy and you wake up and it's almost like you put one and one together and got three. You wake up feeling awesome and everything you worked on. So it's like Okay, if that's the magic cycle on ice train, off ice train, sleep, like how many cycles of that can I have before my next game before, you know, next season, and really, energy and how I feel is the greatest limiting factor. Uh, The the whole goal is to become this, you know, superhuman being, but you kind of can't do it if you're doing with a a foundation that's been poorly laid. 100%. I mean, by being an athlete, By the
2: virtue of what you put your body through, you actually likely unknowingly have induced more stress to certain body systems than you would have ever had if you weren't an athlete. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's a necessity of being so. But if you don't address those things, they will hold you back and you will never figure out if they're holding you back until you investigate them in the first place. And the challenge for some of those things is, you know, what's exciting about this world of health is all these hacky things, these gimmicky things, you know, the red light glasses to help offset sleep, the aura rings to track all these variables or the whoop measurement things, Um, you know, taking certain supplements that you feel instantaneously, you feel like your energy levels have spiked through the roof. But no one's really all that excited about checking your digestive system and how well you can actually absorb food. Or, you know, are you going to the washroom on a regular basis and is it healthy? You know, are there toxins floating around in in your urine that we can measure? Is there an overgrowth of something living in your GI system that's becoming a systemic inflammatory problem? And what ends up happening is you start to read a little bit about these things and then you feel like you have everything (laughs) or you feel like you want to do everything that kind of paralyzes you. Um, And that's why it's good to always set a foundation in the first place of, you know, my body is what it is I rely upon to perform and to sustain my career, my livelihood, and ultimately my enjoyment. So it's... Taking that same approach of having you know the the skills stuff and how many cycles of that is how many cycles of that can I go through without sacrificing my ultimate health and its capabilities? So you can see how they all come tied together. And then once you've established the health baseline, then you can actually go on to performance hacking and knowing how to pair certain food, the timing of eating certain the timing rather of eating certain foods. Um, taking certain supplements at certain times, knowing when they're actually going to assist you or when it actually might be a negative thing to do based upon the natural cycles of the body. So, I mean, I think there's a new frontier of health and performance hacking that we're getting into. um, And I just kinda wanna pave the way a little bit and hopefully teach some other people in my wake.
0: Let's talk a little bit about this concept of GI health, uh, gastrointestinal health, because I remember the first time I ever read, I think it was in uh, Dr. Mark Hyman's book, food what the heck should i eat i don't know i read a couple other health books probably years ago now but it it discussed this concept of gut health and of leaky gut and i was mind blown i had had never heard of this term i did not know what it was talking about i'm like what do you mean the lining of my gut would be leaky like what would that even entail um when you're looking at gastrointestinal health, like what are some of the signs that this is an area in which we need to really look under the hood? And what would be some of the telltale signs of it improving? It's a good question.
2: I mean, I'll start off with, with asking you, do you know what I call people who have naturally healthy guts nowadays? No. What do you think my term for them is? Take a
0: guess. You know what? I'm gonna go with a uh, unicorn for a thousand. Dude, did I tell this to you before? No, but <laughs> something, something <laughs> struck me. It was downloaded. <laughs> I call them unicorns
2: and I say we should put them in cages and study them but then if you put someone in a cage the stress of being in a cage is going to compromise the GI health so it kind of unravels upon itself. So the reason your GI system is so important is it's the last line of defense of the outside of your body and someone might go what the hell no it's inside it's inside your torso but it's still outside of general circulatory blood lymphatic system so it's still essentially the outside of your body so anything that gets into your body via a leaky gut is kind of like having a septic system leak into your water system that goes into your house it's the same kind of concept you're going to have It very makes feel encouraging good. <laughs> just as you take a sip of water too right yeah. um it's encouraging in the sense that if you imagine what would happen you would have contaminated water coming into your health into your house if you have leakiness in your gi system you have essentially contaminated waste material getting back into your body which causes your immune system and your detoxification pathways to have to deal with this perpetually so from a health perspective if someone has a chronically leaky gut Almost all research is now showing that this is the initiation to the development of all chronic degenerative diseases, which have the worst track record in terms of being managed by the medical system, because degeneration is a slow, arduous process. It happens over decades, so people can't really know it was this day when I broke my ankle or it was this day when I started doing this. It's like, oh, I just kind of felt generally crappier over the last 30 years, decade by decade. The reason the GI system is so important is we rely upon our our GI system to break down and absorb everything that we need to essentially power our body and to resynthesize everything that that constitutes us. So Every cell is constructed from the proteins, the fats, the carbohydrates, the vitamins and minerals that you eat. If your GI system is compromised, you're already going to be essentially in a state of malabsorption, which is going to put you in a state of malnutrition. So as an athlete, are you going to perform well with a gas tank that's never being able to be properly stocked up? Or are you going to perform well knowing that you're missing the necessary vitamins and minerals that help your muscles make energy in the first place? No, not whatsoever. Going a little further down the story, if you're an athlete with a compromised GI system, your body is chronically going to be inflamed on a very low level. But that inflammation could result in joint pain, which can compromise your training or your on ice performance. It's going to induce likely a little bit more accelerated muscle breakdown. So if you're an athlete that needs to build muscle, having a, an inflamed GI system is gonna be working against you. Um, and then, I mean, the long-term play with that is if it gets perpetually worse, your ability to make energy is going to be ultimately compromised. So you're gonna lower your ceiling of ultimate performance. And this is all coming from the fact that, you know, the three and a half pounds of bacteria living in your GI system don't like you because you haven't created a nice environment for them to live in. So they're going to be telling you via you know indigestion, bloating, you know, if you can fart and clear a room, that's a bad sign. If you always have, you know, that little pregnant belly after you eat certain foods, it's a sign that your body's not working in an optimal state. And those symptoms will be there long before a real problem will manifest. But we generally ignore symptoms or we throw band-aids over them by taking things like antacids or laxatives or whatever. So, you know, most athletes I see do not have good GI health because the stress of your sport, the amount of food some of you guys need to eat to maintain your body weight and your activity level and the kinds of food choices you're making are all contributing to the the downregulation or the, the compromisation of your GI health.
0: So let's add some perspective to this just so. Sort of- you know, listeners at home don't maybe Google um, what can I take from my GI t- uh, GI health and just buy the entire list from A to Z. At large, and I don't want to get, force you to give blanket health advice uh, via the internet, but what are some gener- general health, gut health tips that we can offer our audience to so at least start to look at these areas, start to consider implementing some of these foods in their diet. And then, of course, I know on my own, you know, personal health journey, like the, the mental side, the, the meditation, uh, or at least some, some breath work pre-meal and and uh, pre-sleep has been massive for me all the way to, we referenced or a couple of times in the podcast, like last night I did the old classic, I don't have time to meditate or, or, you know, settle down before bed. And I, I did the old rush to bed, uh, you know, routine and, my sleep suffered. My restfulness was not good. The the depth of sleep was not as long or or as quality. So what are some, you know, off the cuff tips that we can offer people to at least investigate so that they can uh, become more informed consumers?
2: Yeah. I mean, I like how you, you diverged into breath work or meditation or something. So It's knowing what state your body optimally wants to be in to actually digest and break down food. There's a a term for your nervous system state that's called rest and digest. So being in a state of like high stress, being really agitated or eating when you're distracted or on the run or too quickly, um, that's the first thing that you address because it doesn't require you to buy a supplement. It just requires you to be a little bit more mindful about how you're approaching the idea of food in general. You know, so making sure that you're chewing thoroughly, you're, you're eating and focusing on that. You're not scrolling through Instagram or you're not watching you know, like stressful movies on, on Netflix or you're not watching the news about how coronavirus cases are spiking again. It's kind of focusing on almost like the, the ceremony of eating. That's the first thing, right? I mean, even looking at chewing, people who chew lesser have more digestive problems and they typically have a higher body fat percentage than those that chew more because you're stressing your GI system if you don't chew your food properly. Uh, The second thing I would probably say is when it comes to food choices, I give people this general statement to to give them an idea of how I would want them to eat. If it grows, or if it eats something that grows, you can eat it. There's no Snickers tree. There, There is no Twinkie bush. I've checked, trust me, I wanted to disprove that one. But the whole idea is nature, made the most nutrient-dense foods via plants and high-quality animals. If you can eat food items that are more closely related to how they came from nature, it means they're less processed. When they're less processed, they're more nutrient-dense. So rather than just focusing on getting your body calories for energy, you're getting calories plus the vitamins and the minerals that help your body turn those calories into something useful. Like to build muscle in a vitamin B3, B2, and B6-deficient state, muscle building slows down. To turn carbohydrates into energy without vitamin B1 and magnesium and alpha-lipoic acid, that process is more inefficient. So it's really about making sure that you're getting food as it was intended to be eaten and eating as diversely, meaning as many different foods as you can on a weekly basis, and if if you're into that, organic and seasonal, why? Because that's how nature intended us to eat food. And then once you've established that base, you can actually start to build a diet plan based upon the macros and the micronutrients you eat, knowing that your initial process or your initial approach is far more sound than just going, eh, I'm going to eat, you know process stuff here i'm going to eat this shake here i'm going to go to this restaurant here it's kind of part of my language giving a shit about the quality of what goes in because coming back to that we are the sum of our inputs if the food you eat becomes the the material that makes up your body the crappier the quality that goes in the crappier the quality that comes out it's just it's unable to be disproven
0: one of the things i've always learned the most from and talking with my health practitioners is honestly just asking them what are legitimate health practices or foods that you enjoy yourself. So, I mean, I have the foods that I like, for example, and, and, you know, I kind of have my head in the sand on a couple of things. Like, for example, I was told for years, uh, by health practitioners, like, Hey, I know, I know it's maybe not a staple in your diet, but can we be creative in, in implementing organ meats and you know, I was hell bent on, on saying, no, I thought they were gross. I, I don't know how to cook liver. You know, my, my wife doesn't eat it. And finally I was able to find like these, these ground beef blends that had it with, you know, fat contents that wasn't out, you know, uh, out of control. And um, so in terms of your own general health practice, maybe a day, I don't know how, how you know, how extensive your routine is in a day, but what are some of your favorite health providing foods depending on your goal? But I'm assuming with the goal of, let's say, you were going to speak at an international conference and you, know, you had a flight coming up and, and jet lag on tap, so you wanted to have your ducks in a row, or to go back to your career in fighting, you know, let's say you were you know, in the middle of a fight camp trying to you know, energize and, and you know, achieve that, that, that two for one that we're looking for, optimal health and optimal performance, even though we covered how sometimes those things are at odds.
2: Okay, so I'm going to give you a mix of lifestyle and dietary things, if that's okay, to kind that's of perfect. set the tone. So, I mean, when I wake up, the thing that I try to do first is hydrate. Like, but not just a little sip of water. Like, really hydrate yourself. And right now, I've actually been using this new um, empty stomach enzyme blend that's actually focusing on targeted inflammation. So taking that on an empty stomach is gonna allow you to get the benefits of supporting your immune system via you know any of the inflammatory related processes of exercise or foods that you may be sensitive to. It helps to offset the damage with that. Next thing I do is I actually try to get the sun on my face. Why? Because more important than food is the concept of what's called circadian rhythm. Have you, have you ever talked about that on the podcast before?
0: Never talked about it. It's something that, I try to embody, and even even from a, a podcasting sense, like it's getting you know dark so early here. Mm-hmm. If in a perfect world it's five p.m. and it's it looks like I, in a perfect world I would get outside right now uh, to set me up for tonight, but have at it circadian rhythm. Yeah,
2: I mean, so humans and all of our all of our physiologic function is actually governed by when the sun rises and the sun sets. You know, so when the sun rises in the morning and you get those, those rays of sun you know, hitting your face and depending on where you are, if it's not too cold hitting your skin, that helps to regulate the consistency of all the body processes that you know, allow you to go to the washroom on a regular basis, that allow you to release hormones properly, that your body knows what time of day it is based upon where the sun is in the sky. And that's the thing I actually do after I hydrate because for me, it's kind of like the, the anchoring of my day. It's how it starts. Um, I'm more of a faster now because being more advanced in age than you young whippersnappers, I'm not trying to be huge with muscle anymore. I'm not trying to to perform at a level you guys are. So for me, I do a little bit of intermittent fasting. Why? Because um, as you age, your metabolism is a little bit less efficient than when you were younger because you've incurred more stress upon it. So if you're an athlete who's trying to deal with something weight class related, you know, waiting an hour or so if you don't have to exercise in the morning can allow your body to kickstart your ability to burn fat more effectively. Um, and then, if I do my first morning meal, I typically make it a lower carbohydrate meal. Why? Because the morning sun will raise your cortisol levels and raise your blood sugar levels. What most people in the Western world are taught to do is to have a bowl of cereal or to have some toast with orange juice. It's essentially a massive input of sugar in your system. So it upsets the balance of your blood sugar control throughout the rest of the day. If your body's naturally gonna have higher or more regulated levels of blood sugar in the morning, then I have a little bit of a higher protein, higher fat meal. And that could be, you know, like, some eggs, avocado, and some greens, and maybe a little bit of sweet potato. Or it could be if I want to go really hardcore like you, I could do you know organ meats or sardines and eggs or something where I'm okay. I'm going okay. I might not like these foods as much as some other stuff, but I'm getting the I'm getting what my body needs in the morning to set the tone. Um, typically, what I do after that is I'll do something active. I'll go for a walk. I'll listen to an audio book. I'll do some meditation. Something to kind of allow me to digest and not overly stress my system and then the next meal would have a little bit more carbohydrates in it. Why? Because I do my exercise in the afternoon. So if I'm going to eat my lunch two to three hours before my activity, then if I know that lifting weights or running sprints or doing anything that's high intensity, my body wants carbs. So I'm essentially fueling myself with the appropriate fuel to support the activity that I'm going to expect my body to perform later on that day. And then after exercise or with exercise, I'll take certain supplements with amino acids or creatine or whatever the goal might be. And then after that exercise session, I'll have my dinner, which focuses a little bit more on protein. And with all my meals, I'm trying to include as many different foods as possible in a day. And every time I go to the grocery store, I rotate what it is I buy because that's one thing that really builds a healthy gut. If I can add that in, because you asked what are some other shoot from the hip, Um, pieces of advice is the more variety of food you eat, the more your GI system kind of likes it because it's like the concept of an ecosystem in a rainforest. The more creatures that live in that rainforest, the more dynamic the ecosystem is and essentially the healthier the ecosystem is. So if you think about that, it's the same kind of concept. You know, In your GI system, the more variety of food you eat, the more variety of food you give the bacteria that live there that can create these health-promoting compounds to improve the health of your gut. So you digest food more efficiently, you have lower levels of inflammation, you detoxify more and you get rid of waste on a more regular basis. And that's one of the the guiding principles I do. And then, you know, after dinner, now that it's getting towards Christmas time here, the lights go down low. So I turn off all my overhead lights. Um, I try not to have any of those high efficiency bulbs because those things are absolutely terrible for you. If you have the wrong light frequency in the evening, What it does is it can actually raise your your, uh, stress hormone levels, it raises your cortisol levels, which raises your blood sugar, and it blocks your melatonin production, which is a very important hormone for not only helping to regulate sleep patterns, but what melatonin also does is it acts like an antioxidant to clear out old waste material. It's a detoxifying agent. So brain function, especially for athletes with head trauma, melatonin is one of the most important things, and it's something that I measure on every hormone test I work with someone, and you'd be so shocked at how the 14 to 25 age group Because they stay up late on their phones or on computers or playing video games, their melatonin levels are lower than that of my 65-year-old clients. And that just shouldn't be. So I'll use blue blocking glasses, I'll keep my phone on that like night mode, and I just have specialized bulbs that I have turned on that are lower, physically lower, um, so it doesn't mimic the overhead sun. And then in the evening time, I try not to be productive. I read, I spend time with my girlfriend, we're ripping through Better Call Saul on Netflix right now. So that's oh, a little bit addictive. You. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just, you know, getting back to just some basic simplicity. And then it's, you know, nailing those habits on a regular basis that is going to be the thing that ultimately facilitates the long term change and success. So if someone is coming into this being overwhelmed, it's starting there. It's starting to have, you know, an anchor to the beginning and the end of your day. It's having accountability to the kinds of foods you're eating. And it's having accountability to plan your training, but also your recovery sessions. It's basic things like that, that get you 85 to 90% of the way there, as you said before, Connor, and then the last 10 to 15% is working with, you know, a health professional to fine tune those things as they relate to you. Because everyone has their own unique identification, both you know mentally, biochemically, physically. So it's figuring out how to take the eighty to ninety percent of what everyone needs, and then adding your little secret sauce on top to make it very much specific or most pertinent to you as an individual.
0: Well, that's such a great place to, you know, wrap that up. Because what I thought was really beautiful about what you said was talking about the issues of lights on melatonin uh, levels within the body and it kind of brings us full circle to that conversation around, okay, as an athlete, I'm doing something super intense all the way to 915, 930 PM at night, 82 nights a year in front of the bright lights and then getting on a plane and, you know, going cross country and trying to fall asleep all of a sudden. So it's like there is going to be, there's going to be a point where optimal health and high performance can be at odds. And that's not and that's, necessarily something that's not something I run away from. It's something that helps me know my why when I'm trying to instill my habits and and uphold them, you know, away from the rink on off days. That's where those incremental, those marginal gains are so important because I know the stressors on the system are coming. It's just a matter of doing, it's a cost of doing business.
2: It is, and that's where the, the lack of dogma comes in because if you have a health practitioner who can't step away from the idealistic world and put themselves in your shoes for a minute, then they can't actually work with you effectively because they're gonna basically say to you, the thing that you're doing, the thing that you've chosen to do is actually working against your health so you can't get healthier. And that's where I go, that's not true. It's understanding that you have to work with the person, with their schedule, with their chosen endeavor, and knowing how they work, how they live, how they even interpret information is gonna be the thing that helps you deal with the things that are not ideal from a health perspective. The more you do that moves you away from health, essentially the more you have to be mindful of to offset that. But like you just said, if you're playing under bright lights until 9 p.m., you can't get away from that as a hockey player. So, what is it you can do? Well, you can measure melatonin levels, you can get certain blue blocking glasses, you know, you can do certain things, you can put certain frequencies of music on after the game to try to you know stimulate some parasympathetic activity you can do some meditative practices so there are things you can do to try to offset but you know the acceptance of what it is you've chosen to do for a career also has to be accepted by the person that you've chosen to work with because if they can't meet you where they are there's going to be a disharmony to that relationship
0: well and this entire conversation was hosted by yours truly and i you know we were talking about the cereal and toast with orange juice growing up like a good old fashioned piece of white toast, toasted with brown oh, with sugar, some peanut cinnamon. butter. Oh, I wouldn't even skip the peanut butter. I wouldn't even slow the glycemic index one ounce. I just go cinnamon sugar, brown sugar. No, no, you uh, put cinnamon. Cinnamon slows it down. That, a that's a good point. That's a good point. But <laughs> Fruit, Fruit Loops marshmallow, I think, was my yeah go-to breakfast for the entire second grade. And this isn't the my mom and dad did the the world for me, but you know, I definitely uh, was able to learn a lot more as I was able to get older and, and be introduced to brilliant. Health practitioners like yourself, Roll, and this was awesome. I really appreciate uh, your time today. I want to ask you for two things. One, uh, where people can find you if they want to find any further uh, lectures, information that you do. I, I know this was pretty base level. That's not what you get paid to do on a, on a regular basis. So I appreciate you bringing, you know, the uh, biochemistry one hundred and one uh, information for us. Um, but if people want to find more of you, and then of course, if maybe they're not ready uh, to. Discuss a health practitioner right away, or you know you're located out of uh, Markham, Ontario. Maybe they're not from there. Um, how can people learn themselves? What books might you recommend? What resources can they can they start to look after for themselves?
2: Okay, so I'll take those down in order. Um, so I, I'm a little bit of a ghost in the in the industry perspective. I don't have social media. I'm not on Facebook or Instagram. I'm kind of slowly getting a website up and running, but I'm slightly reluctant. There is some stuff of mine on YouTube, but you and I met through an organization called Designs for Sport, where we're both on the advisory board, and thats it's an awesome gig. Uh, through that organization, and I guess you can vouch for this, I actually created um, what I would call a, a nutrition health 101 course that is kind of developed for strength coaches, but I think that, you know, yourself as an athlete, I, I applaud you for taking it because it's you taking some degree of ownership for your own knowledge base and your own activities and habits so there is a course that i've created um if you go on the designs for sport website that you can actually purchase and i think you know if anyone's interested maybe we can come up with a a special product code for them we can get them a discount on the course i'll uh, i'll talk to the powers that be with that you might even have one um the other thing i'll say is if anyone is compelled to want to reach out to me connor and they have your contact i'm totally cool with having uh i'll give you my information and you can just connect me with anyone because even if someone wants to you know ask a question or they're they're wanting to know how to better themselves i was there once when i was young in the exercise industry i made a list of every person i respected who was in the strength and conditioning industry and i sent them all personal emails I got three responses, so as a percentage I don't want to tell you what that was, but those three responses helped. So, you know, if anyone out there wants to uh actually get in contact with me, my email is just my my full name, RolandPankowitch at gmail.com. Um I'm not gonna turn people away if, if they're really in need of assistance. And um what's the second question that you had? It was uh
0: initial books, uh, initial or books. other resources that you really um have leaned on or maybe that you'd give you know first-time clients who are very early in on their health journey because uh, i'll go first uh, food what the heck should i eat uh was one of them by dr mark hyman he basically just goes through some of the pros and cons of, of different foods different uh why we think certain things about certain foods why we think certain foods are healthy and why other ones wouldn't be uh mm-hmm. what aisles to shop in the grocery store and it was super straightforward and honestly a great zero to one for me Then as far as the, you know, designs for sport uh, course that Roland you designed, um, I've loved taking it because frankly, I wanted to be a more educated, you know, client. I wanted to be able to know the language in the functional medicine. It it requires a level of subjectivity, right? And I want to be Mm -hmm. a part of these discussions with my practitioner eventually. I'm not saying I can replicate the experience and hours of expertise that someone like yourself has had, uh, but i also want to limit the amount of time you need to you know be dumbing it down for me i wanted to rise up to your level the best i could and it's been a great exercise actually kyle palmieri uh, who i'm going to get on the podcast with new jersey devils uh, has been taking it too so i've joked about it before but i do feel and that's part of the whole premise of this podcast the curious competitor podcasts i do feel the next generation coming is just so studious and so hungry to learn. And the information is so available now that if you are ambitious in trying to learn it, attain it, make the relations, like I guarantee if you were to make that same list today and have to start over just with the world of social media, you'd get a higher than three uh, person response. That's my personal guess. That's that's the wonderful part about about being so connected. Exactly.
2: so to answer your question i keep dancing around this uh there's a book by i believe there's two sisters uh the enders is the last name it's just called gut and it's basically kind of like a story uh, of the gi system and and, you know because we spent so much time talking about the gi system um, that book was a really great way not to be super high level um, but to give you an exposure to the entire scope of what goes on there. It's like the story of how it's essentially, it's it's an organ in and of itself. So if you want to learn about GI health, that's one book that I would, uh, I that, would that's, promote.
0: Lexi read it on our honeymoon. That's the kind of nerdy couple there you we are. are. So yeah, I remember awesome. seeing it on, on her pool chair.
2: That's a great one. There's another one called The Epic Story of Our Mitochondria by a, a Canadian naturopath, Dr. Lee and no, N- uh, K-N-O-W. And it basically, it, it's, it's science meets history meets biochemistry, because for me, um, energy production is probably the foundational aspect of what it is I work on with people, because if there's no energy, there's no health. Um, and if I could probably pick out a third book, um, I'm actually looking at my bookshelf, because you don't want to know the book I'm reading right now. It's painful. It's <laughs> drier than hell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, um, uh, don't want to turn the- 900 page book called Inflammation Mastery. Um, I'm drawing a blank, but what I can do is I can probably throw you a couple other suggestions after I've... uh, Yeah, we
0: can leave it in the show notes and that. And I know I've got a code too, so I'll talk to uh, our friends over at Designs for Sport and share that. Uh, both when I share it on my Instagram, that's how most people find the podcast, do a lot of the swipe up and then I'll put it in on the show notes for people that are interested in taking the course. And if, if, um, if people want to nerd out, there's a doctor uh,
2: by the name of Dr. Brian Wall. She's got a really good YouTube channel where he goes through a lot of detailed things. So if people want to learn like the mechanisms of detoxification or various other aspects of why, you know, energy production and low energy is very dangerous to a cell. He's, he's got a really good um, YouTube channel where he draws these things on a whiteboard. So for the visually uh, biased, that's a really nice way to start putting the pieces together.
0: I like that. I like that. That's also glad you mentioned that because that's something you've done really well on the designs for sport education. So I appreciate uh, the lengths you went to, you know, apply uh, lessons learned for every learning type. Yeah, I mean, if you can make
2: this stuff fun and engaging and empowering rather than something you want to run away from or memorize just to forget the minute you've written a test, for example, then you can take this information and you can practicalize it. So rather than trying to think of the abstract step-by-step process, you can go, okay, this person is doing the sport of hockey, which is an anaerobic thing. So you know the pathway of how the body will make energy. You know the associated byproducts that are created as a result of this and what the body has to do with them. So that was my whole intent with the course, is taking something, um, you can't get away from needing to know the base level of knowledge and what it means and what it's all about, but it's, We said this in the beginning, so Connor, you're in front of me and you're asking me to help you with something. How do you actually implement it?
0: I love it. Roland, thanks for your time again tonight. Uh, Get some rest, get these, uh, get out of the computer, get the blue light shut down for the evening because it's time to to wind it on down. But I really appreciate uh, your time and your wisdom today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun and I really appreciate being here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you to uh, Roland Pankowicz for uh, his time. I purposely asked him that question at the end about where he was on social media, how we could find him, because I knew he is a hard guy to find, but uh, it's on purpose. He is someone that you know, very consciously uh, chooses how he wants to go through life. And, and I, I found him a great resource this way in, in being more conscious about you know the, the life I personally want to orchestrate. And there were three points in Roland and I's talk today that I want to highlight further is one is this concept that our output is the sum of our inputs. Like our energy and our health uh, is not by mistake. We are all given sort of a genetic uh, makeup, but how we engage with who we are, you know, really determines our quality of life. And so two, that's the second point that there is greater health out there available to all of us, the more we are able to lean in and, you know, ideally have the resource to help us, uh, Roland shared the, uh, his NFL client on how this player in particular was able to blast through, uh, performance plateaus through the avenue of achieving optimal health. And then finally, as a curious competitor, I welcome you to become uh, more curious about your own health. I think that, uh, the quality of food, the amount of stimulation, the average person, is subjected to today, makes health very difficult to achieve. And I have found an education to be very empowering. And there's just so much great information, uh, whether it's, you know, via podcasts like mine, uh, other podcasts I reference even on my Instagram, ones that I am uh, looking up to to learn more from, there's there's YouTube channels, uh, there's great uh, books, which we reference and, and we'll put in the show notes that Roland and I talked about. So education really is uh, your your freedom ticket in the world of health. And I encourage you to get any professional help uh, you can afford or at a bare minimum, start to look at uh, different books and, and that to help you go from zero to one or or hopefully even to the next level with your health and performance. So thank you for everyone, uh, wherever you are in the world listening, please continue to like, subscribe, uh, and comment on this podcast channel as it really helps us grow our reach, uh, which has been amazing for me to. Uh, recognize as we continue to grow week in, week out. And so thank you for joining me on my journey to
1: become a more curious competitor. Hey guys, it's producer Colin. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to let you guys know about a new way you can support the curious competitor podcast. We are super proud to have launched a Patreon with access to additional content, exclusive AMAs, and loyalty merchandise. If you could spare the cost of a latte a month, it would go a long way in supporting the expenses involved with the podcast, as well as supporting the people that make it happen. If you do not currently have the means to do so, please don't feel the need to donate. We will be providing this podcast continuously and hope you can find value in these conversations. If you're interested in supporting, visit patreon.com forward slash competitor or check out the link in the show notes. Any support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. And as always, we look forward to seeing you next week.